Why things go wrong and how to put them right. This is part 13. There'll be one more uh, next Sunday night where we'll finish off this topic. When you really, really, really need to know God's will. And the text that I'm going to be looking at, among others, is John 10, verses 1 to 16. And if there's ever a book that you should feel like we have a little bit of a handle on, we spent uh, 67 weeks in the book of John. Chapter 10, 1 to 16. Jesus is the speaker. John records the words. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Okay, so that's Jesus. Now John writes, this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So they don't get it. So Jesus again said to them, now he's doing away with the parable, and he's saying, okay, I am the shepherd, and he's explaining what he's just said. Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And only Jesus would know the import of those words, as he said, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Twelve. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand. cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. So at the beginning of this series, we're 13 weeks in, why things go wrong and how to put them right. We studied the different sources of the problems we face. Problems of our own making problems that come from circumstances beyond our control, problems that come from living in a fallen world. And we put a number of them together, and and, uh, remember we talked about how to get out and how to stay out, confession, repentance, belief, looked at those steps. 
After that, we, we uh, took a couple weeks looking at problems that come from external situations that are beyond our control. And lately, we've been looking at some of, the, some of the situations that arise because of internal reactions. I, I can't demonstrate the lordship of Jesus by controlling all the circumstances of my life. The only opportunity I have to demonstrate the lordship of Jesus is in my response to what happens to me. That's the same with you. And so we looked at internal reactions, worry, fear, anger, studied those things. But there's, there's another kind of situation, and I want to spend the last two weeks on this. There are problems that arise simply because I don't have enough information. I don't know what I should do. I don't know which way I should turn. I don't know what choice I should make. My heart may be right. I want to please the Lord. I want to do the right thing. I'm just not sure what the right course of action is. Now, we covered this a little bit when we studied... um, how to determine right from wrong when it's not covered in God's Word. Remember, we went through a list of principles. Anybody remember any of that? Okay, good. We spent a couple of weeks on that. I need God's guidance. I need His direction. I need to know what's the right choice to make. That's what I want to talk about for a little bit tonight and a little bit next Sunday. Point number one. It's the nature of our relationship with Jesus that he functions as a direct guide in the daily steps of our lives. It's repeated four times in the text I read. This is the kind of passage that Calvinists and Arminians just sort of squabble over and sometimes miss some other basic things that are in the text. Four times, Jesus says he's the one who is there to give guidance and direction to our lives. It's in verse 3. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. It's in verse 4, when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him. They know his voice. The third time is in verse 16, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, they will listen to my voice. 27, my sheep hear my voice. Voice, I know them. They follow me. We're currently living in a world with over 2,500 different religions. There are far more when you break it down into sects, and, but I'm talking about relatively major, self-sustaining, distinguishable religions. Every one of them with a book, a revelation, a prophet, a teacher giving direction. So the claims, the claims of authority and direction and guidance, uh, they're, they're pretty endless. And they, you know, they range from, from uh, demented people with Kool-Aid to, to people on television that tell you God wants you to send them $5,000 to the person in the foyer who just comes up to you after church and says, you know, God told me that you're supposed to, and then here it comes. And in the middle of all this stuff, the big idea I want to leave with you tonight is 
don't let anybody else be Jesus to you. That four times, four times it's repeated. It's, it's like our Lord can't say it enough. It, there's all sorts of images, but this one of shepherd sheep, speaking hearing, leading following. You, you don't need another prophet. You don't need another mediator to get God's direction. Jesus says, I lead my sheep. I speak to my sheep. I lead my sheep. I lead them directly. And you get the impression that the Lord wants us to value this. Jesus wants to lead your life. He wants to guide and direct you. He wants to deal with your life in a personal way. And don't let someone take that from you. Don't submit yourself to someone other than the good shepherd who wants to direct your life. Never let anybody take that from you. Let me just give you... An example of this. I said I wanted to work this in. This isn't in your notes or anything else. It is precious that the shepherd leads our lives even when we might not be conscious that he's in control of things. Uh, most of you were here this morning. And it was... It's kind of a difficult message, you know, when you go over stuff like that, you start getting the emails, you get all the emails that make your head swell. Oh, Pastor Don, that was the most wonderful teaching I've ever heard. To the other ones that bring it back down, like what kind of a you know, religious bigot would speak such hateful things from the pulpit of a church? And you get all that kind of stuff. Some of you will remember I stood up there at the close as I was wrapping up the message. I called up the singers and musicians, and they were always very... They, at least they humor me, you know, and I said, I'm not sure where we're going or what we're doing, and I, I, I made some little comment, just kind of flying by the seat of my pants here, remember? And uh, that's a humbling thing in front of a big crowd of people to just say, I, I'm, I know you're all wondering what I'm going to do next, and I just have no idea, that type of thing. And I don't mean you should do that very often. It's not some sign, woo, Pastor Don's godly, like he has no idea what he's doing. Like, I don't believe that. I'm just thinking and thinking and trying to pull things together, and I, I, I did that prayer of confession, and then I prayed a little bit about the pride parade and, and just a humble heart and repentance, and then, then I made some reference to, you know, 24 years ago I said, remember we all stood around the circle of the sanctuary and that little story. And then I said, I just, let's all just come. Let's all just come and say your word is, is our standard and we want to walk holding conviction and compassion around the truth of God's word. And everybody came. Wrapped up the service, you know, whew. I'm in the office, and uh, my grandkids come in, and I give them some candies that I keep in my desk, and we're talking, and now we're going out the door, and Rini says, oh, I just want to tell you, so-and-so, I won't say who, because I didn't get permission, but I don't think they would care. So-and-so came up to me, it's a man in the church, and said, make sure you tell Don this. She goes, sure, what? Make sure you tell Don that in our men's prayer meeting." We were praying, and we knew it's kind of a difficult topic, and it's always kind of awkward, and it's hard to deal with stuff like that. And so we were just praying for Pastor Don, 
that you know he wouldn't botch it up too badly and he would he would just praying for Pastor Don and and then he says to Rini make sure you tell Don that we wrapped up by praying and Lord let us all let this have a consecration of the whole church when Pastor Don is done speaking this morning. Now let me ask you, some of you have been coming for a long time. How many times have I said, I want the whole church just to come down? Like that's not something that just sort of falls from the sky and, and I just do because, well, I, I feel a lot better if I see a big response to my message. That rarely happens. So what's going on there? There I am, totally unaware. I had no clue of any of that. There I am, totally unaware. I'm kind of bumbling and fumbling. And, oh, Jesus, really? And, yeah, this would be a good... Okay, let's, let's do this. What's happening? Well, what's happening is there's, there's the shepherd. Dumb little sheep doesn't know all of this. I don't have all the details. I don't know what's happening. Somebody prays. And the shepherd comes and says, you guys at the prayer meeting, you're right. Pastor Don will never figure this out by himself. I will, I will look after things. And that's a shepherd coming alongside a sheep. I had a good buddy in Bible school who raised sheep. I don't know if, how familiar you are with sheep. Um, cute little animals, dumb as a post. Sheep really are. If you've worked with sheep, they're not, like, uh, they're not like dogs. They're not, sheep just, anything you want them to do, you pretty well have to steer them and show them, not just once. God will direct. If you have a heart that wants to follow the shepherd, you don't have to be, you don't have to be brilliant. You don't have to be bright. You don't have to be the most spiritual person in North America. But if you have a heart that wants to do the right thing, Thing. There is something beautiful about the image of a shepherd. Sheep don't ask the shepherd for guidance. They aren't bright enough to always look to the shepherd. The wonderful thing about it is there's a shepherd who is looking out for the sheep. And here's the plain truth. None of us hearing my voice right now, you have no idea what this past week might have been like, because we aren't given that kind of knowledge. You have no idea what this past week might have been like had the shepherd not been guiding your life. It's this beautiful promise. All I'm saying is, do get advice. There's nothing wrong with getting advice. The Bible talks about getting godly counsel. But never let anyone speak for Jesus to you. Never let anyone take his place. He is the shepherd. You are his beloved lamb. All right, that's the, the overarching principle. Point number two. I took too long on that, sorry. The fountainhead and measuring stick for all divine guidance is the Bible, God's word. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And so... The specific purpose of the word is spelled out in pretty clear terms as two things. Giving direction, giving direction and avoiding obstacles. 
You get up in the middle of the night, you're trying to go to the washroom, you don't want to put the light on to wake somebody else up, you walk around the end of the bed, and bang, you ever done that with your toe? Ooh, 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 and you don't want to wake somebody up. Ow, 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 ow! And then, just say, would you next time just put the light on, you know? <laughs> Giving direction, avoiding obstacles. That's what light on a pathway is for. So, what that means is, given that that's, that's stated as at least one very key purpose of God's Word, it means the amount of time you give to the study of God's Word will have a direct bearing on the guidance you receive from His hand. Many areas we seek guidance on are specifically spelled out in the Scriptures. Others aren't specifically mentioned but are dealt with in principle, and we looked at that for two weeks but either way, it, it, it is arrogant and foolish to, to pray and ask and seek for guidance on matters where God has already made his will known, and I just haven't taken the time to find it out. All other forms of guidance becomes necessary, especially in charismatic circles. All other forms of guidance need to be tested and measured by God's unchanging word. No dream, no vision, no prophecy, no spokesperson has authority over my life or over yours. Any other voice claiming to give direction to my life, it has to be examined and questioned until it is proven to be in accordance with the teaching of Scripture. Let me just give you some texts. 1 Corinthians 14, 29. Let two or three prophets speak and let others weigh what is said. 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 to 21. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Test everything. 1 John 4, 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Many false prophets have gone out into this world. So all of those verses, and others like them, they just beg the question, how are these revelations to be judged? How are they to be tested? By what standard shall we measure them? And the Bible's clear that the early church knew only one answer to that question. Acts. Acts 2, 37 to 42. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and believe every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. For the forgiveness of sins you will receive the gift of the Spirit. For the promises for you and for your children, for all who are afar off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. There's this Pentecostal context to those verses. But there's more. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. Okay, how are they going to do that? How will they save themselves from a crooked generation? How will they save themselves from a, a culture of conformity out there? So, 41, those who received his word were baptized. They were added that day about 3,000 souls. Don't get a picture here of some quaint little church under a tree because, you know, the early church, it was quaint and it was little. No, no, you got three grand already. Bigger than almost any church in Toronto. 
3,000 of them. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and the prayers. I don't know what you think the most important thing in the church is. And wherever you put doctrinal teaching on your list, please remember that in the only actual description we have in the whole New Testament about the makeup, the components, the ingredients, and they're all important, but in the only list we have, the top of the list you have this doctrinal teaching. The apostles' doctrine and teaching. So the doctrines of the New Testament. The church studied them and studied them and studied them. How? So they could save themselves from a crooked generation. So they could know the truth and the truth could set them free. Three. The good shepherd wants to guide your life. It's not a trick. He wants to do it. The standard by which we measure everything is God's revealed Word, and that has to play a prominent role in the ministry of any healthy church. Three, God gives guidance through our own thoughts. Proverbs 20 and 27. The spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord, searching all his innermost parts. Now notice, spirit, the spirit of man, small s, not talking about the Holy Spirit. This is, this is the, the, the human spirit, the invisible you, your mind, your heart, your soul, your spirit, the process inside your being that computes and feels and, and uh, discerns. Solomon says, under the right conditions, God will use my own thoughts to put his guidance into areas where I might normally make huge mistakes. That is a stunning idea. The closer you get to Jesus, the closer you get to Jesus, the way it should work is, the harder it gets to distinguish your thoughts from the voice of the Spirit. And that's right and good and should be because the mind should be increasingly trained around the input of God's Word and the leading of His Holy Spirit. And so the writer says, It's right in your Bible. I'm not making it up. God will use my own thoughts to put his guidance into areas where I might normally make huge mistakes. So the question is, so whose thoughts are they after a while? You see my point? There's a blending here. There's a blending here. But there's a catch. There's a catch to it. And the catch is revealed in texts like Psalm 19, 12, 13, 14. Who can discern his errors? I don't want to make a mistake. Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. And then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let let the, the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Solomon. God wants to use the human thought, 
the Spirit in you, your spirit, to search your whole being and to inject his will and his guidance and his direction. But Psalm 19, 12 to 14, God doesn't just direct his input into any kind of thought life. Not just any kind of thought life. See, as God's word, that was the last point, as it rules my life, God's input into my life becomes stronger and clearer. Here's the point. As God's word rules my life, God's input into the rest of my life becomes clearer, even in areas where the word doesn't speak specifically about that topic. Did did everybody get that, the logic in that? The trick of having God direct your thoughts isn't found in being brilliant. It's found in being holy and submissive to the Lord in everything I know of His will presently. He will make sure my life is going where He wants it to be down the road as I honor Him with what I know to be His will right now. That's how that principle of the shepherd just coming and guiding the sheep That's how that works. That's how that works. Four. The knowledge of God's will for specific decisions is directly dependent upon my exposure to his general will for all of my life. Okay? Specific decisions. Should I go to Yale or should I go to Princeton? The knowledge of God's will in specific decisions is directly dependent upon Exposure to his general will for all of my life. Now, our text in John makes the same point in the same way in John 10, 5. A stranger they will not follow, they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Why don't they? Why won't sheep follow Stranger, And Jesus says, well, he answers his own question. It's because they do not know the stranger's voice. But why? Why don't they know the stranger's voice? And the answer is they've never gotten used to it. Okay? Psalm 1, 1 and 2 is not in your notes. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. So followers of the shepherd delete competing voices. They spend all their time listening to the true shepherd. He's the voice they have been most exposed to. They're not even familiar with counsel that comes from other sources, ungodly sources, because They listen to the shepherd. They saturate their mind with the word of the shepherd until their thoughts become directed by the spirit of the shepherd till they don't know the voice of strangers anymore. They're not interested in the voice of strangers. They're devoted to the shepherd. Keep all that in mind. How important is it when Pastor Don says, make sure you come and bring your family to church on Sunday and at the close of Sunday morning, love one another, see you all tonight. 
what am I doing? Like, is that just, well, you got an ego and you don't want to stand there speaking to nobody. Which is true, by the way. But it has to do with how well do we want to know the voice of, of the shepherd? Like, how important is it for us not to be entertained by the voice of strangers, but to make sure our lives are increasingly saturated with the voice of the shepherd in his word? Well, Pastor Don, how often do I have to come to church for crying out loud? Well, the Bible doesn't say how often. It does. It says 10 o'clock Sunday morning, 6 o'clock Sunday night. It doesn't say how often, but keeping this principle of exposure to the good shepherd's voice in mind, one thing is for sure, whether it's in church attendance or in my study and reading, too much exposure is far better than too little. Am I right? You know, is the basketball game, the hockey tournament, the dance class, the, the scholarship, the career, the trip around the world, is it more important than exposure to the voice of the shepherd? I'm reading an interesting article. I'm going to bring it when I'm ready. Um, it's written by a group, actually, of sociologists, and, and uh, some are Christians and some aren't even Christians. And it has to do why it's getting harder and harder to get people coming to church. And so it has a list of eight things. Eight things that keep Christian people coming to church less and less. I didn't word that very well. Eight reasons why Christian people are coming to church less and less. So there's eight things listed. Just for fun, what do you think the first thing on the list is? (laughs) What do you think the first thing? Eight things, eight reasons why they're coming to church less. How many say... How many say family? It's on the list, but it's not first. Sorry? Sleeping in? No. The first two things on the list are, one, affluence. Yeah, we we, we can go more places, do more things, or we're not limited to... When I grew up, you know this, when, when I grew up, you had two weeks holidays, and everybody took it somewhere in the summer when the kids were out of school, and then you were back at it, right? Now people just go all the time. I mean, I do it too. We all do it. The second thing on the list, organized sports. Isn't that something? Organized sports. And parents don't realize what they're doing to their kids. Don't realize what they're doing to their kids. We're almost done now. Don't allow the details you don't know of God's will to crowd out the application of the details you do know. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. You have to be careful with a little verse like that. It says more than we think. Jesus' sheep are not identified as those who hear his voice merely. Lots of people hear the voice of Jesus in conscience, scriptures learned as kids, godly counsel of parents, etc. Jesus says his sheep are specifically identified by their commitment to following him. 
If I'm not following Jesus, especially in areas I know, then all bets are off in terms of receding, receiving his guidance in specific areas where I might want direction. I get it all the time. People will come by my office and they'll talk about a problem. And they'll say, Pastor John, I just really need to know God's will. Can you help me? And they'll go through a situation and there's A and there's B. And I really don't know, Pastor Don, what should I do? And I'll say, I know God's will for your life. Really? Yeah. Great, what? Tithe. <laughs> Go to church regularly. Get into the Word every day. The situation you're facing, get all the information you possibly can. Pray a great deal about it. And then get a group of Christian people around you that will pray with you. Pray together. Get good godly counsel. And then make the best decision you know how to make and trust that Jesus will guide you because that's what a shepherd does with faithful sheep. Faithful sheep. When the sheep decides to forsake the clear voice of the shepherd at points where the sheep knows clearly the will of the shepherd, he'll never find guidance on any other points either. Everything shuts down because my sheep, they're the ones that follow me. Follow me. Here's what I'm convinced of. We'll we'll finish this next week. I'm convinced that if it is the desire of my heart There are two parts to this. If it is the desire of my heart to please the Lord in everything he speaks to me about, if that is my desire, my conviction is he will keep me from making major mistakes. And even where I make a mistake, it will never be irreparable because the shepherd is there with me, guiding and directing my life. The, the tendency is to take the minor things and to make them... We all want to know what we want to know when we want to know it. And so you take this little thing and you make it everything. And God looks from a much bigger perspective, the Google Earth you know, kind of perspective down on my life. And there's all sorts of areas where his will is perfectly clear and I have yet to obey it. So how serious am I in this one request? It has to be motivated by selfishness. 